That would feel so weird. What do you even say? It's uh, this is the first time we've recorded Mess Museum uh in three years. Seriously, three. It's it's been many years. It's not even. This is <laughs> Will Simpson coming at you from his apartment. Um speaking to the orange microphone and honestly it's nice to see him behind the orange foam once again because i think this project has aged really well and like it seemed chaotic when it um began to me in an appealing way but i think it's taken on some like form through i hope that's the case i it's one of those projects i've been you know i think about it all the time and then uh just do something else instead. And I think it's time for <laughs> to behave differently. I'm here with Joe Livingston. Uh, Joe knows a lot about the medieval world and a lot about film and criticism and makes paintings himself. I feel like I want to apologize to your listeners because there were some episodes towards at the beginning of this project when I, I, I re-listened to them and I just thought, I just thought, I repeated myself a lot, and I thought, if only that person wasn't in this episode, I would have loved it. So, apologies to those listeners for appearing so drunk so many times on this podcast, but from here on out, I have a commitment to lucidity that I think will improve the product. Yeah, searing sober clarity. It's like a knife. The knife that scars. Okay, that's actually a quote about um, Fincher, David Fincher, which was going to be one of the subjects of this episode. But unfortunately, Fincher was uh, probably... Ousted. He was not only ousted, he was overshadowed. That's true. By the outsider insight into uh, self-destruction. Sorry, I watched Fight Club recently because I'm doing a... Like little round table about this new Fincher book that's coming out by um, Adam Neyman. Neyman? Adam Neyman, I think. And I rewatched Fight Club and just remembered how hilariously, like, your khakis are bullshit, like the movie is. And um, how. It blew my mind when I was 12. Yeah, but the guy, the subject of the rest of this episode, which is one of Will's personal, genuine discoveries, is, I think, um, really gives the lie to David Finch's view of what it is to be unhappy. It's also fitting because my, I was only thinking of looping David Fincher and uh, the show Mindhunter in specifically uh, somewhat as a ruse uh, to imagine that people want to talk about Netflix instead of uh, Finnish painters. They don't and, want to talk about that. People or hear about it, I mean. I still like Mindhunter, and I think that it relates to what we do later in the podcast, which is try to probe someone's psyche from their oeuvre. Oh, I see. And in Mindhunter, you're seeing the right, like the evidence as being yeah. In the Mindhunter, corpus. the Mindhunter on Mindhunter, the Netflix show, they talk to serial killers who are incarcerated and try to find out why they why they do what they do. And in our podcast, we look at several thousand paintings by this guy, Calervo Palsa, and try to guess what he was like. It's a game. 
It's a game that you cannot win. It's a game that Will invented. It's a game that, much like Crokinole, Will simply loves to play. Um, without further ado, I think that um, game on. How's that? Uh, <laughs> po- so poggers. <laughs> We're going to be talking a lot about uh, paintings and drawings in this episode, and there's a, I'll post a link to this artist's basically archive in this Finnish museum, uh, and you, unfortunately, you can scroll, and I think you'll see what we're saying, and I think it'll become clear what's going on, but you might not be able to find the exact paintings we're talking about, because many of them have no title at all or the same title, but I think you're going to have a good time and I don't care. (laughs) I think also if for any reason the link is inaccessible to you, maybe you're listening to this 500 years from now, the URL might be forgotten, but you can probably Google Calervo Palsa. Calervo Palsa, that's my guess. K-A-L-E-R-V-O. P-A-L-S-A. Can you start by, can you explain how um, you came across Pulse's archive? It's not obvious to me how you made it into this Finnish language website. The answer is actually sort of embarrassing. I was, I started following some bot accounts on Twitter. I find that uh, I get really tired of people's voices and people's little takes and thoughts and things. Yeah. So when I follow bots that just post clip art or they post, you know, every 10 minutes, a a still from loop in the third or, uh, you know, dictionary words or, uh, what's the one I really like the one that's, uh, it actually took me over a couple of years to find out that the Gilgamesh bot was a randomized Gilgamesh bot. Because I've oh never because I've you never read it. Assumed it was in sequence. I assumed it was just random sentences from the poem, but it's not. It's, it's um not. it's a what's the word for it when it's a Markov chain bot that does uh it just sequences the vocabulary from Gilgamesh together and different names. So it's a um like a generator of further Gilgamesh. Yeah. But I just had no idea. I just thought it sounded cool because they're, you know. Well, that's the point. They, yeah. they, you know, they sometimes are very convincing. I feel like you had a um, a bot of yourself that survived for quite a long time on Twitter. There was this guy who would make a bot for anyone who wanted one for a long time. But I think yeah. whatever, wherever he was hosting the script or whatever he was using to power them no longer exists. So I think everyone's... <laughs> Our other selves are dead. It was always disappointing to me. It was actually not nearly as funny or like... um, uh, (laughs) Do you remember any of the supposedly uncanny things that your bot said? No, that's the thing. It It was always... It's for this reason. I'm always suspicious when somebody says, I trained an AI to do this. And where they're like, we wrote a Seinfeld episode by AI and it's too funny. 
that's when you know it's fake. <laughs> because once if you've looked at enough of the stuff these uh, algorithms put out, most of it's gibberish. Yeah. So if it's funny, that means someone has like uh, cherry picked it, is my guess. God, that is a bit pathetic, isn't it? To pretend that your own authored work was made by a robot version of something. A fictional robot is a... I don't know, that's a weird kind of authorship. Something from this Finnish gallery from this museum came up in one of these bot accounts. And I clicked on it, and then I started clicking around the gallery because I liked their interface. Uh, like, certain things were tagged, which I like, to organize things. And if, at some point, I can't remember what I was looking at, but at some point I realized that I was looking at the tag for nudes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm clicking this tag. In Finnish? In Finnish, yeah. Do you, know, do you remember what the word was? I would I would remember it if I if I saw it I in think, these. I think that I figured out the meaning of one of the words. I think that that the title that all of the paintings and drawings have means either the, untitled or just like artwork. The nematone one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that means my my guess was sketch for that because it mm. seemed to be on. Um, no, it's under paintings too. So it could just be picture. Uh, man, what was the word for, um, but yeah, I realized I was looking at the tag for nudity and I was like, oh, I got to click on this tag and see what, see the entire selection of nudity that this museum has to offer. And that's how I found this artist, Calervo Palsa. And then was it then that you realized that there were 3,042 results? Yes, exactly. Because even before we get into talking about his actual art, even just seeing that number, you're exactly right. Like I was like... First of all, just excited, like, oh, wow, usually you get, like, 50 at the most when you click on someone's name on a museum. But I always wonder what happens to people's output. I sometimes get kind of depressed about this idea that you could sit, that you could do 3,000 drawings, so where do they go? You can't sell 3,000 drawings. You can't even give 3,000 drawings away. Uh, I don't think so, at least. So they're like... Certainly not one by one. So the idea that they may end up scanned every last, well, not every last one of them, but largely scanned, uh, searchable in high resolution with titles, like, you know, the idea that they're cared for in this way was really striking to me. Dated as well. Yeah, dated. And then combined with just the obscurity of the artist, it's someone I've never even heard of uh, in any context, most of the art in this archive is from the 60s and 70s. Uh, some of the most interesting ones are from the 80s, but they're, you know, this is my favorite period of art making in general. Uh, I've actually noticed sometimes that people will post art online and I'll see it and I'll be like, that's kind of a cool painting. And then when I see it's from like 2019 or something, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> like show me the good stuff. Like, I want to see a painting someone made last year. Do you mean because it will inevitably be derivative because of just time passing? I think it's just a shortcut for me for some reason to, um, that's probably close to it. I think I would need to examine that reaction. I don't think that I'll like what I learn about myself if I actually were to. I think it's... Well, I was offering you a um, a way out that yeah. was well, I think it's sort of like <laughs> saying, so say you saw, say you heard the band Jet on the radio yeah, and you were like, God, I've... I, I love this classic rock. And someone was like, this is Jet. This was from the iPod commercial in 2005 or whatever. You'd feel silly. 
right? You got duped. They wanted you to think they were classic rock, and you thought that. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I I'm not sure it applies to painting, but I know I see. I I take your point. Okay. So you, part of this guy's charm is his authentic. He was authentically trapped in the past because he's. <laughs> well, I couldn't quite get the dates going, but right as you said, there's a lot from the 70s and 80s, but. There are no dates beyond the 80s. They must have stopped working, right? Uh, right, or it, it, I have no information about this person. I don't, I don't know if he's living. Uh, so part of the reason I am bringing this up at all, I sent this link of the entire collection of however many thousand pieces uh, to Joe because I wanted to... This kind of seemed like lab conditions to me. You have... Even if it's not the entire output, you have an insane amount of work to look through by one person who you've never heard of without almost any, I don't have any associations. You know, I, I can't place, I don't know anything about uh, art in Finland. I, I can't place this person in a in any sort of knowledgeable way. So in a way, I'm more excited about it. Part of that, oh my God, I've just found one called Dire Straits, 1985, when I was about to say all the titles are in Finnish, so you can't understand them. But when it's Dire Straits, it's the same in Finnish and in English. Um, they're just very delicate pencil outlines. They actually look a bit like a Will Simpson line drawing. Um, but right, the fact that the um, titles are in Finnish adds, almost to me, adds to the sense of illegibility because the data is all, you know, like formatted wrong because it's in Finnish, which is this really difficult language. Um, so it, there's a challenge. We have this challenge, which is an interesting one, I think, of describing what this huge archive of over 3,000 images consists of and why it appealed to you. Because, well, I'm going to guess, perhaps insist, that this work also appealed to you because uh, you really like some of it. And oh, I would only say that because I really, really like a lot of it. And it makes some of the very famous artists that I associate with some of the things that this guy does seem less special. <laughs> I was also immediately struck by the variety of things going on. There, it's some, this, Calervo Palsa has... I would say five or six kind of running series or running styles at least. Like what, for example, one is landscapes that are sort of reminiscent of maybe Raoul Dufy. They are done with watercolor and pretty fast, very directly. Um, I almost imagine when I'm looking at them that they may have been done uh, plain air, like on the site. They have the look of that, but you know, who knows? That's another one of the questions I have about these. And or they have a sketchbook quality sometimes. They're there's just something uh energetic about them that uh doesn't seem planned, doesn't seem uh fussed over. And then he has a number of paintings of radiators, almost always the same radiator with different uh weather features happening to it or amounts of radiators on the page. He has a number of portraits of a guy hanging himself by his dick. He has a number of kind of 
more chaotic paintings with lots of figures, some of whom are mutilating one another or having sex. And then some are just purely abstract and will just be washes and shapes. It's almost, uh, you could convince me, I think, that these different strands were the work of different artists. I'm fairly certain you could. Yeah, I'm looking at an, this one particular watercolor, this one. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty fauvist. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Like, it's, so, it's very, very beautiful. And it, it's so beautiful that I think, like Dufy or like, uh, you know, Manet's sketches or something. Right. You know, like the kind of stuff that actually sells really well in Ikea because, like, it's so good at the line level. Or like Picasso sketches, right? I think of Dufy as like a uh, cafe art type. You, mm -hmm. you see it in the bathroom at a cafe or something. Well, I think it's because it stands up to reproduction really well. Yeah. Like this thing that I'm looking at, this painting, which is like a sunset. Not sunset, it's like a little bit... No, it is sunset. It's like is a that very... the same one? Can I see? Yeah, like a very um, uh, intense deep blue sky. Yeah, this work is... It's very, very attractive because it's gestural... And obviously, you know, like this quick, sketchy paintwork of somebody who can really paint, right? I think. I mean, this, Which this is one partly... that's abstract is just crazy. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm just showing Joe this one that's very kind of dark, purpley, uh, completely abstract wash painting from 1971. For, a little bigger than I would picture, uh, 42 by 29 centimeters. I kept I kept imagining each of these being uh, letter size. Something about seeing them in this archive, I picture them no bigger than a book at most. Uh. Oh my god! Yeah, this and my experience looking through these was that I kept being not shocked, but I kept being surprised over and over um, by the different things he would try or choose to depict. Or you know, there are collages. There's one I was just looking at. That is a oh my god! I just showed well um, a 1970s self-portrait, which is an almost um, David Shrigley-looking image, quite like crude of the or Raymond Pettibon. Yeah, definitely. Like it's in color, but it's the, the 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 artist with blood coming out of his head, having like smashed it on a table. I think what you said earlier is very accurate about it. Re being one of those things that reformats how you look at other people because yeah someone like Pettibon I think would go nuts for these and would maybe not even want you to find out that this guy exists it's a secret uh, but yeah this one is a a symbol like a almost like a a sick joke of a imitation of like 60s Robert Rauschenberg that's like a sex doll hung in front of the a canvas with like a generic uh, abstract painting on the canvas and blood covering the sex doll. And she's being hung from a rope. And she's being hung. There's and there yeah some of them are so. Um, He's very interested in glamour and violence. Uh, like I'm looking at this one, which is a very sketchy, maybe like chalk pastel drawing on um, black paper called beauty queen defecates 1969 and it's like 
a pretty woman on a toilet, basically. And he seems to have this like interest in. They're quite often ideas that I would talk myself out of as he someone has... who makes paintings. One, I'm looking at one called Manly Menstruation, which is a like up ass view. Oh, and you can yeah. see someone's like dick and balls from the back, and then also all this blood coming out of their butthole. So, with this like delicate pink wash surrounding a, just a solid color. But isn't this strange? Like, this is deliberately drawn, it looks like to me, in this kind of like when I. God, I was about to make a really bad pun of crummy, right? <laughs> like, it's this almost like deliberately like tortured line work that like isn't naturalistic at all. It's definitely comic-y to me. And fetishistic. And, uh, and fetishistic. Fixate, fixated on the testicles and... It's hyper-symbolic, yeah. right? And it's so different from that loose planner sketching, right? Like, he can sketch and instead this is like a bad drawing by someone who tried hard that's what i would have assumed but it's just yeah this one has no date but it's just called obsession and it's a it's not a landscape but it's it's the landscape uh aspect ratio uh again way bigger than i haven't uh 41 by 50 centimeters gouache uh hmm. and it's a guy doing a handstand against a wall with like a kind of cocktail party not even really looking at him and then there's a Grim Reaper in the background. Right. Like, this feels like an image I've seen before. And the colors are kind of beautiful. And, like, uh, it just seems as though he he pulls out... You know why partly... He pulls out so... the talent... Um, the guy who's... Very unexpectedly. ...doing the handstand against the wall, his face is to the wall, which makes it, like, a paradoxical image or whatever. Because, like... I can't gauge. It is not dated, but I. It looks more like the '80s paintings he does, just because the color he like kind of. He the '80s ones have this more kind of solid illustrative look. Sometimes, it also feels like discovering this uh, combination of different people. There's like, you know, Kippenberger and Hockney, and uh, uh, I mean, I, there was just a piece I typeset for the review about Maria Lasnig who has some similar kind mm -hmm. of distorted bodies. And uh, you were saying that you feel like you're being pandered to by this. <laughs> but I, I have exactly the same feeling that how is it possible that there's so much of this and that it's this appealing to me specifically as some, <laughs> it, it feels like a prank, like I'm being pranked. Uh, yes. Like this painting, he has a few variations on it. Untitled, 1981. It's a very central composition, a very gloomy watercolor of a tree. Bend, the top half of the tree is bent over and tied to a branch, and the middle branch is just a head. So he's... Being hung from again, an upper branch, again, right? So it's hanging. kind of a repetition of the hanging thing. There's something... Yes, yeah, a dead tree. Or some of his art would... I, I would also compare him to H.C. Westerman, I'm now looking at a painting, a very lovely watercolor of a very fat, naked man with a window into his belly, and it's a fetus, and it's called... What's it called? You're reading it. Pregnancy, 1974, and there's pictures in the background of the man giving birth to the child. Yeah. But also, it's that same pink from the other uh, ass painting 
which makes me think it's like a Pepto Bismol pink. Yeah. Wolves. He has this wolf thing, and he does wolf heads sometimes, like a very yeah, like the um, Michael Hurley wolf heads. Who paints those? Does he paint them himself? Yes. He he's a Michael Hurley is a interesting cartoonist. Even he he yeah he he does those wolves. But right, like I feel like how did Kalevo Pulsa know? Yeah, exactly. Okay, and this guy, nineteen seventy three with the same Pepto Bismol pink, a guy is opening a blue robe. He has like a girly tie on, like a painted tie with a naked woman. And his dick has a uh, noose on it. Oh, a tiny little noose. Yeah, it's a kind of like an old man. A, um, a noose foreskin. Like a, like a kind of Mr. Burns-esque. And he's, we he's wearing a <laughs> robe and a shirt and tie, but no trousers or underwear. And he has this strange little kind of chastity device looking oh and there's like a cut open pig in the background yeah perhaps you could run through this trope um of the hanging and the dick <laughs> it feels genuinely compulsive to me uh almost as though he if you were talking to, on the phone with him and he was idly doodling that he would look down and have yet again drawn a, a person being hung like, uh, you know how, like, everyone has the things they return to, whether they feel like it or not? I remember noticing this one. This is from 1967. Again, it has that title, like, Nimiton, which must mean ge generic picture word in Finnish. But, like, where does this rendering come from? He, it seems as though he's capable of inventing new skills that he can never do again sometimes, or... Uh, lose interest. It's it's as though, um, again, it's the right. It's like multiple can, personalities in this person. He paints like Manet, but then chooses not to. Yes. And why would you do or that? Or Seurat, even a little bit in this. Like uh, yeah, yeah. Like but this is sculpted. the one that makes me think of like Manet, like his yeah. willingness to put like big black lines around things and through things, and then he really makes this sense of drama of depth and. Like, I don't know how quite how he does it. Like, make that... Yeah. This is one of... Sorry. As I was talking about his, like, really delicate handling of space um, through what seemed to be kind of, like, not crude, but very, uh, like, impulsive line work. There's another one of a guy hanging, and he's carving words. He's hanging from the branch of a tree in a forest, and he's carving words onto the trunk of the tree with his dick. Oh, and the title must be some type of um, pun, because it's Cullervo. K-U-L-L. Ah. Uh, I mean, I... Oh, wait, no. Okay, so you can't re make out anything he's writing, because it's in Finnish, except the word Mussolini in brackets. Huh. Oh, yeah, there's a couple of versions of this one called American Look Style that's a denim cock and balls. Oh my god. Wait, 1976. Hold on. But that's American like Louise looks... Bourgeois yeah. like tights but like jeans for the dick. Okay, this is incredible because it's yeah, it's like a sketch of a dick and balls and they're not clothed in denim. The skin is denim. Or what's the difference is I think maybe his well, question. Well, I think because it seems <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe Oh man, I I think 
See, I immediately... Doesn't this make you think of like that, um, you know, like the Red Room, um, Manet one, the studio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you describe it for the audience? Uh, so this is a kind of crude perspective drawing of a uh, cube-shaped room with these kind of deep blue walls, some collaged elements, uh, like there's a woman's face on a TV. It's from 1972. There's looks like there's like a kind of religious pamphlet on there somewhere, but there's also just uh, a guy sucking a huge penis on the one of the panel. One of the panels of the wall is that there's a skeleton, a great a grape tomato maybe a tiger, some kids uh, with their arms around each other's shoulders. <laughs> uh, Forty two again. These are all like about half a meter in both directions. Press cutting watercolor. And somebody owns this. Suomen Valtio. So maybe he is well known in part of, I mean, part of my, part of the reason I chose him as a topic for this was because I wanted to try to guess things about him uh, as a parlor game, I guess, or even a inkblot psychological, you know. Sorry, I just found this very Magritian one. Where it's a visual pun where a win there are two windows and one of them's turning into a painting on an easel. Right, and then there's a kind of shadowy, possibly dead person in the corner. <laughs> uh, it's like a haunted Magritte painting. Yeah. Yeah, the, the kind of capacity these have for... Um, Look how beautiful this is. Yeah, the green. I mean, well, that's basically Joe is showing me a landscape that's a very kind of wintry landscape with some power lines uh, and a sky with these very nicely, like, uh, stained wash uh, sky. And there's this... They've the artist has gone in with just kind of yellow wash and it just perfectly blends into green. So I was just thinking, oh, that's a nice green. And then I realized, oh, it's just like the piss yellow that you get in your cheap watercolor set. <laughs> Which Precisely. I always have. The, yellow is like the hardest color to mix and work with because uh, it reaches its saturation point very fast. Like there's no dark yellow. Like there's mm. there's light yellow, which always looks... Yeah, like lemony or pea, and then there's dark yellow, which is full yellow. After that, it's all muddy and gray. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to keep clean. It's very, I don't know, it's like a very victim color. Yellows and greens drive me crazy when I'm painting. Uh, oh, I'm I'm coming out right now and I'm bidding this. Would you be interested in describing the relationship between this image no, and the Kim Kardashian one. one? Oh, I haven't thought of that. Okay, so you know that picture of Kim Kardashian with the break the internet thing where she is parodying kind of like an old offensive image of a woman holding a champagne bottle and um, is going over her head in an arc into a glass resting on her butt. And this is kind of that, except it's a sketch of a man and the bottle he's holding at his crotch and it's going into a glass held in his mouth so it looks like he's pissing. Or is it a, is it a funnel? Oh, or a funnel. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because here's a here's another version on the same, on the same. Ah, theme. The, that guy's happy about it. <laughs> you're right. It is a funnel. 
Yeah, he's he's just glugging. And then there's another faint painting. Oh my god, wait, what is going on here? Oh, there's oh, this I found a clue. This is in the background of that one I just showed you. It's like a faint sketch with like a face with like a hand slash tit bottle on the bottom. It looks a bit the drawing looks a bit like the crone from the optical illusion where like, you know, the pretty girl turns into the crone. Oh right, right. What a nerd. This is just he also just has a number of pretty straightforward self portraits throughout his career. And he's blonde and has glasses. He looks a bit like I don't know, Wes Anderson. Oh, to me he looks like a uh, uh he looks like a he looks like lesbian be, woman. Oh, I was thinking he looked like kind of a like he'd be the nerdy like the nerdy guy in a punk band. Oh, right, the thing of playing again playing music in a really sweaty dress shirt. Yeah. Yeah, got it. I found a clue. What's the clue? It's a painting titled Beckett. And it seems to have it's a kind of nice intense abstract one with a kind of skull implied in like negative shape. But if he's talking about like Beckett, the playwright, then that to me seems like quite a big clue. Because if he's like I also see a abstraction, noose in that one, though. the black shape between the figure and the skull. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't see the figure. Yeah, there's a figure kind of lay, reclining. But I think, you know, and there are um, newspaper cli clippings underneath the paint. I don't know. I just think that if he's like engaging with abstraction, this like kind of dreamlike scenes in this loose washy style, and then calling it Beckett, to me that seems that he. I know it's like kind of a. So he's been to school, or something. Well, not necessarily. Like Beckett's kind of accessible in a way, but like oh, I, I think I a just... guy who's like being has like a respect for like rigor and difficulty. That's what I think of as someone who cites like Beckett in their, like, I don't know, in this kind of way. We've got a painting called Maria's Revelation from 1971 that's a sort of sentimental kind of postcard composition of candles on a Christmas tree just next to, like, <laughs> either a... I wouldn't say it's a dildo. It's just a a live penis in the Christmas tree <laughs> next to one of the candles. Just growing out of the the foliage. Yeah. So I guess what I meant earlier when I said he'll often make a painting that's a very urgent idea like that. Okay, like what if what if you were lighting the Christmas tree and one of them was a dick? Like so but that's exactly the type of idea that I would just be like, I'm not doing like like that's an intrusive thought, is what that is, you know? Interesting. I mean, I think there's something about Nordic, if we're going to call it Nordic, I don't know. People from the very north of Europe tend to not be very embarrassed about anything. I think it's like a great virtue, because like, if you're kind of unembarrassable and earnest, then you don't have, you kind of like necessarily don't have that like second-guessing thing you're describing. That's true, and that's also just my own... Uh shortcoming as an artist i'm sure but i mean i it falls short of a hallucination or a joke i would say yeah intrusive thought is the closest thing i can describe it where or you know the nastiness of it is part of the 
uh, you know, the repressed breaking through um, into your sense world or something. Right, and not having the, like, self-censorship. And you're describing a kind of self-censorship that he doesn't have. So he has, like, Tourette's of your unconscious. This painting is from 1979. It's called Shit Man, Homage to Archimboldo, Coprophagic Composition. And it's, like, a inside view of a closet maybe with just a pile of shit inside the closet but reaching no, no, down no, that's like a wooden outdoor toilet oh it's an outhouse okay yeah oh yeah it's a seat i was oh Archimboldo, as in the guy with the vegetable faces yes but exactly. said it's a shit face but i mean and then even that like th there's this blankness to these i just described an outhouse as a closet like to me i immediately went to this other mental place right you couldn't accept what he was trying to show you <laughs> The shit house, yeah. The shit house, like you don't accept the shit house of your it own. Also, it has a little thing mind. that says "not on display." <laughs> like, that, they don't have it at the. Hilarious. You can't go see this at the museum. The, the the docents won't describe it to oh you. Oh my goodness. Okay, keywords: watercolor, hole, secretions, outhouse, poo, boarded ceiling, wood floor, board building, half body picture, cavity, bowel movement, watercolor. So that's that that was also what attracted me to this archive was the fact that they do this that you can just be like I'm clicking bowel movement right show me <laughs> it's very it's very visible metadata which is nice and inviting I'm looking at a painting of what looks like a pine wood in winter where the trees are black again against a kind of a snowy background and it's very gestural and it's very emotional there's something very like honest and well it's also like calligraphically beautiful like his brushwork with these like washes is um like it has this expressiveness that i think another artist would like rest on and be like okay well i can make beautiful gestures I like agree. this why not continue to express the basic feeling that i had they had when looking at this image because like that comes across but he's like no I want to make shit man. Right. Or he's, I feel like you could ask him and he'd say, I forgot to put the nooses in that one. Don't look at that. <laughs> uh, so there's the thing you're drawing and then there's the way you're drawing it. Yeah. So the way he's drawing all of these things is always just like bracing and fun and worth looking at. I can't even, I don't know what else to say. It's just good to me. The fact that it's the, what he's drawing is also just insane is just like the they're they're tugging at each other you know it's like when you hear a song that has a beautiful melody but the lyrics are also something speaking to you on some level like they're they're uh, merging or maybe fighting each other or no absolutely and like the artist is where those things come together usually right like and that's how we think art historically like Suzanne or whatever and you know the whole thing about like cubism and the there's the place and people go and like make these pilgrimages to all these like places in France and stuff and then they have this like and it's the same with impressionism I think this like fetishistic relationship to the landscapes and the places and the people but then the whole point of the paintings was to be like all of that is fake 
uh, like the appearance of things, the way that you see it through your eyes is like uh, immorally misleading. <laughs> like that's kind of what I don't know. That's how I feel about cubism. And then it's just like the pret its own prettiness has this like function of implicit betrayal or something. That makes sense to me. I especially about just explaining your senses to you, uh, mm -hmm. showing you uh, if what if they worked in a slightly different way. That's kind of a simplistic explanation. No, I think that's um, but, true. Like, but what if you could see multiple angles of the same chair? You know, uh, right? But it's also like, what if you hadn't been brainwashed by like mm -hmm. Bruno? Well, who was it? Brunelleschi, the whatever the guy who like invented you and know. Uh, Alberti. Right, right, right. Like those guys came up with like an optical illusion that everything was based on right. from that on. It seems to me like this guy is saying about uh, like beautiful painting, what like those guys were saying about. Like well, represent I, that what we think of as like representational dimensionality and that he's saying like the beauty in my work is worthless and like I'm gonna right. keep ruining it and I and I never get bored of of creating beauty and destroying it and like mocking it. I mean even the paintings themselves have this quality of kind of being uh playthings of of uh a stage to make your action figures fight and fuck, you know? And then uh I was thinking about how so much of painting in the 20th century is about uh, proving that you you do, you only need one, the way of drawing it or what you're drawing, and that's what makes it special, right? As well. So he's saying, well, you could have both or neither, or uh, you could recognize the thing, uh, you could think you recognize it, but you don't. Uh, but then uh, the style is also, you know, of interest or so I see his paintings as operating on this level in a certain way of okay, self-portrait. Self-portrait psycho style, self-portrait cartoon style, uh self-portrait nice style. They kind of have these uh emotional registers that are almost plucked from a hat and are also really convincing. They don't seem like a quotation or a joke or even that cynical. My reading of it is more cynical than the paintings themselves. My theory is that he was a teacher. They're very demonstrative, you're right. And that he, at some stage in his life, had a professional obligation to master multiple styles. Or a pedagogical interest in doing so. Or, yeah, a greeting card illustrator or something. That, that was what Crumb did at some point. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, something where you were you became comfortable with crapping things out there is something compulsively repetitive about his work as you say which like to me to me makes me think of a high volume professional did he grow up rich uh did he go to art school did he have siblings did he have a job at any point why don't we start with what we can deduce because that might be helpful so as you say the, his paintings i seem to run from the mid 60s to the mid 80s would you say Yes. Uh, I think the earliest painting I saw was 65 or 64, maybe. I would bet that this was the kind of person who painted right up until they died. So the ones from the 60s, he would probably be 20. Not, probably yeah, not yeah, a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he would be born in the 40s. Uh -huh. Mid-40s, early 40s. For 1942. And then death, mid-80s. Let's have a stab at years. I'm going to guess 1945. You guess 1942. 1945, death, 1990, I'm going to say. 
Okay, I'm going to go 1985. Okay, so that makes him, like, not really that much older than, like, my dad was born in 1950. So that means that he died really young. It's not even necessarily true that he died, but there is something just kind of, it's, it seems like a fair guess, and I can't explain why. I mean, this guy seems produced so much and then suddenly stopped. Right. Or for and some reason, this archive ends there. Well, let's not speculate for the re on the reasons for his death. So we know he's male, Finnish, died young. I think that he taught at some point in his career. You think he has some kind of psychiatric pathology? No. My guess, and this isn't, I can't do a specific, it, this is more of like a feeling I get from the work, which is that there's some sort of, the work has so much freedom in it. My, I, these are all just hunches, you know, based on other artists and what you learn about people's biographies, you know, Henry Darger or something. Part of me thinks, oh, this guy stayed in one place for a long time, maybe work, you know, like, he, it ha it's not as though, oh, outsider art or, oh, I'm thinking more about just the, he goes all these places in the drawings that makes me think he probably doesn't go all these places in person. Mm, like that he seems to have. Or, uh, you know, like another version of this, H.C. Westerman was a veteran and had lots of paintings of, he's, the, the story goes that he saw a lot of his shipmates eaten by sharks, and he has all of these paintings of sharks circling a ship, just to, you know, that's a motif. And I don't see anything like that in his work. This is all the, the mind theater. This is all dreams. Oh, hold on. The hanging with the jerking off, right? It's kind of like autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, no. Even though he is being suspended by the neck in all of the images. While Will is letting the cat out, I'll say. I don't know about you, but when you were a kid, do you remember learning about how, you know, when people were uh, executed via hanging, that they would get like hard-ons or like shit themselves you know well obviously that happens to corpses anyway but this was some kind of like a bit i don't know among like children like some quite like lurid data and mm -hmm. your eyes bulge right like embedded my itself in it in my uh subconscious kind of early on i wonder if i don't know although he you know he would have been a what like so post-war um Kid, Finland, I don't, I don't know what the fuck was going the on. The imagery is all, yeah, there's this, I guess I'm trying to reverse engineer my, my guesses here, because the imagery to me is all countryside, cabin, and then the infinite spaces of... Dreamland. Yeah, of, of or the cabin, or of a, a time spent alone in a place for a long time. Sometimes women, but they seem imaginary, right? They, or, um, refer... I mean, yeah, I wonder if it's fair to speculate whether he was gay, but because the paintings of women seem to be just kind of pin up in an ironic way. Yeah, some kind of like type that he's interested in putting through, you know, different contortions. But the men, right, there's a sense of like something that has been repressed about mm -hmm. the um, like more erotic images of men. Some, some of them are kind of violent, like actually a lot of them are kind of violent. But, he like, mostly draws himself as pretty handsome. Yeah, uh, so. but not in you know not in the Courbet sense of just complete ridiculous glamour. That's but, true, but like I think unlike Courbet, like he his work has like a wholesomeness or an earnestness mm -hmm. to it that like Courbet's like you know pallid finishes I've like moaned about before on this podcast. I think there's a wholesomeness and right as you say like something very cabiny and like it's not social work. He's and he was painting through the sixties and seventies, you know, which like. 
don't know. It just doesn't resemble anything else. Definitely. So yeah, loner. Okay. Loner, loner is the guess. Uh, I get mailman vibes from him for some reason. Uh, someone with a, a, a file clerk. Well, who, what are the artists who had those kinds of jobs? Like um, you mentioned one, I think, in particular. Henry Darger, who is a... Well, right, but like church, a normal church one. Church janitor, um, a normal one. Um, well, the painter, one of my favorite painters, Charles Seliger, was a file clerk. You know, I do think that this Palsa has like some kind of relationship to authority that's resentful or Absolutely. tortured and definitely a bit sexual. Yeah, maybe that. I mean, I'm just thinking of a of a repetitive job where someone who is an artist or someone who is not a very friendly person can uh, excel without. Hold on, why are all of these like sketches? Or are they finished? Like, it's really difficult to know. Like, is this a box of papers or is it like the they're, exhibited they're, work? They're bigger than I thought. Like I said. Yeah, but they're as big as like an A2 piece of paper. What? Like, or maybe, no, a bit bigger. So 20, so they're 20 by 40 centimeters. They're like, mm -hmm. they're like a half poster. Right. <laughs> but that, they look that, like they're me, on good paper. Yeah, but it looks to me like a big flip pad. They're all of the same dimensions. Hmm. Okay, I think he was gay. I think he was a teacher. I think, I don't think that he had like a monotonous job. I think that he not an outsider, was in the art world in some way, whether it was in, in a school, even a high school, maybe. Yeah, like, I don't think he was necessarily in, like, the cool art world, but I think he was around, I think he was in the the human world. Oh, you, and you think commercially trained, possibly? Uh, engraving? Something. Uh, Some commercial, um, like, uh, Color separation. Right, like, obligation yeah. to really learn about materials, because, yeah. like, he's very, very good. Printmaking. With the, yeah. Maybe, maybe advertising, something like that. Yeah. I mean, which is also, you know, that's where Warhol comes from. Uh, illustration and advertising and fashion and stuff. Uh, I'm, there's got, got to have been some war-related trauma in this family, right? Like, he's born right as... World War Two. Yeah, like, the war ends, and... I mean, everyone of that generation in Europe is all fucked up. How hot do we think he is? Do we think he's like an eight? Do we think he's a four? <laughs> uh, I think he's, I think I give, based on the self-portraits, I give him a kind of, I, whatever you think Nick Cave is. I think he's, hmm. or a, a, a Joe Strummer. I think he just is a, one of those guys. I think he just is like kind of rugged looking. A little pickled, maybe. Yeah. Like sinewy. Okay. Uh, no, how about um, Richard Hell? That's who I'm picturing. Right, right, right. I think a little more wholesome. I think he looks wholesome in the self-portraits. Um, like, I think he looks a bit like Matt Damon. <laughs> like a skinny could, Matt Damon. That could be a good... That's so funny to imagine Matt Damon having all of this inside <laughs> Uh, it's all inside. Nothing seems right. polished or, or outside. Like it all feels private. I think I was thinking when I went to the bathroom uh, about how I was thinking about again about the freedom in his work and how I wonder if this freedom is also freedom from uh, a career because he's mm -hmm. he never chose his one thing. He never chose one style. He didn't seem to market himself in a way that other artists do in the in, in this megalomaniacal uh branding 
He doesn't and very much at that time, right? Right. Sixties like and seventies, like big dick men selling because their paintings like, for a lot of money. He can't even be the outsider guy because he's too good. <laughs> so there, there's like these, all of these, uh, everything cancels out in this way that I think is very beautiful in his art. You know, it has a quality of sort of Martin Kippenberger with almost less irony. Oh, I definitely see that. Yeah. Like this combination. It's a very specific tone that combines like a ten, almost like a tender relationship with the materials and like, but like a quite, not cynical, like, right, it's not quite ironic, but it's like, um, it doesn't have that feeling where where Kippenberger is asking you if he can get away with something sometimes. Right. It's. I feel like I've just stumbled. I've just like caught him. Yeah. In his weird little den, you know, like maybe I'm his cousin and it's like Christmas and I'm I'm like, oh, Kaleva, what are you doing up here? You know, and I find all this. Well, I think also I know I don't know that much about this, but my friend Jay was like this. This guy looks like. Uh, someone Kippenberger would get to make his paintings for him <laughs> at which I if he did that I didn't even know that uh but of course he would like he was you know running a <laughs> empire of uh of eclecticism so I I think that we should find out some stuff soon but I also just quickly wanted to remember that like you linked this idea to Magritte when you sent it to me because of I just reviewed this. There's a new biography of Magritte that just came out, posthumously published by a guy named Alex Dunchev, who's a political scientist. Really confusing man. Um, like a professor of international relations, not art history. Didn't Magritte also have a, a day job? He worked in advertising. Okay, yeah. But he had his own, so yeah, Studio Pongo. He made a lot of ads, and like you can see how like the visual, you know, like the punnery of his work is like proto advertising and but like he in his everyday life lived this like almost camp like hyper bourgeois lifestyle where he wore like bowler hat he always had the same dog like and it was always had the same name and he dressed in this like kind of punctilious way that like gilbert and george very like exactly. explicitly copied um or like uh, inheritors of that like disrespectful vibe right where, where you like inhabit the bourgeois values but like in this intrinsically disrespectful way right because like you don't respect like the home right or like whatever the actual values of or like, the bourgeois man in the bowler hat neither do you respect the archetype of the messy popper artist exactly so you're so like you're, you're, they're the most bullshit of all right so you're uh you know yeah, I can do these paintings and not get my suit dirty. Right, and be like a scamp who shows every, shows up how everybody else is a hypocrite. Right. right. Like that's the that kind of like fake thing of being like the great artist who stands outside of society, who like thinks that he knows more by being on his own than like anyone who's like enmeshed in a family could ever know because of like the specialness of his isolation, right? But like, I don't think that this guy was like that at all. No, there's... Uh... It's a really different, like, ethos. Yeah, something about moving on. Something about doing doing the thing and moving on and uh, not overthinking it is very uh, present there. And do we have enough concrete guesses just to find out? Because I'm so fucking curious now. Yeah, sure. Ah, do we think he was ever married? Oh, 
you know, there's always, when you ask me that question, I say, probably not. But then I go, maybe he will. Like, you know, it's not like I would, you know, part of the problem with this game I came up with is that, like, you know, what do you know? Uh, I'm not going to uh, kick myself if if I got my guesses wrong because, like... Well, you invented the game. There are no yeah. consequences. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is I've enjoyed it so much already without knowing the details that nothing that happens next can really, you know? They can't take that away from you, Will. Right. <laughs> Should we Google it at the same time? Yeah, sure. Ah, that's scary. I've been protecting my... Um, protecting my precious mind. Oh, I'm looking at this, at like a blog spot with a picture of him next to a painting that's like a Sphinx nun painting. He's frowning. He doesn't, it's not Matt Damon, but it is like a fleshier white guy than I was picturing. Whoa. Whoa. That's very murdery. <laughs> he looks like a murderer. <laughs> or a, a political fugitive or something, you know, like there's a... He looks a bit like Walter Benjamin, yeah. He has a kind of wide, square face. He looks cool as hell. Wow. Calavo Palsa was a Finnish post-war and contemporary painter there. He was born in 1947. Younger. He oh did not gain significant attention in his lifetime, but has experienced a more recent revival since publication of critical works, including a biography and two major retrospectives. Will, you were absolutely correct about one thing. Palsa was a native of don't know how you say it, Kitile in Lapland. While he lived there, his residence was a tiny studio cabin, closer to a shack than a house. It was connected to electricity by a long extension cable from a nearby house, and Palza called it his Gethsemane after the biblical site, or sometimes his castle in the clouds. Palza died in 1987, lying in bed at home alone with pneumonia. 87 is so close to our guess. It's between ours, right? 85 and 90. Is that when you were born? I was born in 1988. I, was this, I do not, my body is not inhabited by this person's spirit. If, you, if that's where you're going with this. I wasn't, but <laughs> never mind. Most of his works explore in, okay, they really don't think he's wholesome at all. Most of his works explore in graphic detail the dark side of humanity and especially of his native northern regions with prominent themes including grotesque sexuality sadism, homosexuality, bisexuality, and a general emotional frigidity paraphilia. He did abstract art while in New York. Oh, his gravestone is like an arrowhead-shaped kind of propeller surfboard thing. Wow. I love seeing artists' gravestones. It's like a basilisk. Um, what do you call it? Basilisk? Obelisk. Obelisk. Yeah. Obelisk. Surfboard is what it looks like to me. He's been compared to Hieronymus Bosch and Frida Kahlo, influenced by Magritte and Van Gogh. Yeah, fuck. I was going to say earlier that the Van Gogh Museum has a terrible Instagram account. Notable works. Turva, Security, is a painting of a giant anus surrounded by horrifying images. At the center of the painting, the anus opens as a window showing a man seated serenely in a rocking chair, apparently untouched by the horrors. Oh, Ooh. and then it just does what we were doing. Like, his work just makes you do this. It's just a list called Notable Works, which just, they don't have thumbnails of them. It just describes them. And I was so worried that we weren't going to be able to, like... But, right, they've also picked out a beauty pageant contestant takes a dump. 
the thing is, but they've completely. Um, they seem to be like this guy's crazy. Yeah, like they've completely elided all of his beautiful, sensitive um, painting. Okay, I'm finding a better biography. Oh, okay, I've got some family detail here. His cabin was called Poor Vu Cabin. And, um. You're looking at a non wiki source now? I'm looking at the palsamuseum.fi's bio. Oh. Okay, so his mother was called Hilia, I think, um, was from the same area, and she worked as a maid in the in the village. Um, she had three illegitimate children before she met um, Pals's father, who was a forest worker. And yeah, they were poor. The German troops during the war, oh, this is the trauma that I was talking about, burned down most of the houses where he lived in the village. Um, and only the church and a few small cabins survived. So the family moved in 1946 to one of those remaining cabins, and that's the cabin that he stayed in his whole life, basically. And Kalerbo was uh, the last child of six. He had those like, half-brothers that were way older than him. And it sounds like his mother, Hilja, or Hilja, I don't know, roped him into her illegal schemes during the 60s, uh, selling illegal alcohol and bootlegging. The l <laughs> this bio says the lumberjacks used to come to the house drinking and playing cards until late hours. Which lumberjacks? Um, apparently the neighborhood was infamous for its rough lifestyle. His father died in 1963, and although he was close with his mother, it seems that um, he had problems. He didn't enjoy going to school. He had trouble adapting to rules, um, but he was the first in his family to graduate from high school. Uh, it seems as though he wrote in his notebooks that his appreciation of his art would have to wait until long after he died, and he predicted that he would face an early death. Oh, during many years, he worked as a letterer of translated comics. No way! After his He's, studies, but where did he study? Oh, he went in to Helsinki. Helsinki. Yeah, Helsinki. He studied for seven years, and then he studied industrial arts and design in 1971. He struggled to sell his art, um, and he worked as, as you yeah. say, yeah, as, yeah, as color a separation was my guess, but lettering makes sense, too. Although yeah. he doesn't write on the paintings, usually not. Well, that's probably why, yeah. because he did it all the time for work. He worked. He seemed. He worked as an artist. He got. He got grants, but he lived in his studio. It was very cold. Was not a success. Like despite the, you know, he was struggling. He traveled to Copenhagen, Amsterdam, New York. What a horrible place to be working in a shed. Um. But yeah, he the materials caught, froze in the winter. He caught flu. It developed into pneumonia, and he died in his studio. He had friends though. Uh, this dear friend of his, uh, Miley Pitkinen donated, like rounded up his stuff and donated it to a uh, museum of modern art in the late 90s. So that's a long time after he died. So I guess she's like, has the credit for reviving his, um, reviving his reputation. I mean, I'm absolutely, I'm not surprised necessarily by how right you got it, Will, but like, I didn't think that the, all of that like dark emotion in the painting was going to have such like a, uh, direct correlation to real life because they're so funny like mm -hmm. this isn't one i caught but it's a picture of a pilot walking down the gangway in um 
a plane and he's the grim reaper holding in a scythe but he's also wearing a pilot's hat and there are like these cute women passengers like laughing and smiling and smoking cigarettes on the plane like that's funny but the fact that he predicted he was going to die young means that i think those skulls all those skulls make a bit more sense there's a strong resonance to me between the paintings of philadelphia artist and uh, comic artist um will Myron. like this kind of abstract or kind of like surreal repurposing of very mainstream images it's just these old guys in a room with a green floor, yellow walls, and a purple ceiling. Uh, they're all wearing dark sunglasses, which presumably means they're blind. Uh, oh, I just thought they were like FBI. I thought they were like FBI agents. Oh, it's a string quartet, and they're playing, but they all look like they just look like drill to me. Like they, yeah, they're <laughs> we they're wearing like blue dress shirts, like um, lawyers, you know, and they're wearing black ties and sunglasses. And outside the window is the Earth, so they're in space. They're, they're full of these things that have this kind of postcard quality with something quite wrong, but not a punchline, you know? It's not, uh, it doesn't say, get it? No, it's unease. Yeah. Which, I think the reason why I thought about Will Laren, and also, like, your sense of humor, I think, and your, like, interest in images and humor and how it works, right? Like, to have the equipment of a joke but no punchline is to, like, what? Like, turn the turn your attention on, like, the machinery of the joke and break it apart to see what its, like, constituent elements are. For somebody whose life what seems to have, like, consisted of, like, a lot of struggle in a genuine way, right? Like, he's not actually dramatizing anything. He's downplaying his life circumstances mm -hmm. in the work. It's interesting because, like, he gets to this place with the humor and the meaning that, like, feels to me very, like, millennial in a <laughs> stupid way. Like, it kind of reminds me of, like, some Vice comics, like, that thing of, you know, like, being... Uh, like, I'm entertaining you, but I'm, like, difficult. Right. Uh, yeah, the Adult Swim style is there. Even Drill, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, but, it, you know, it's all very, like, that surrealism, right? Like, making surrealism out of familiar material. But again, 1960, 1970, it's so wild. And um, he was really suffering. Like, he's not a coddled, like, uh, you know, child of the end of his And struggled dream. to find an audience for it, which is, you know... You can't have comedy unless there's someone to laugh at it, you know. So, uh, right, he's like the authentic pathology that a certain type of humor nowadays is like aping. Mm -hmm. But he's the authentic version. I, I mean, it's also worth noting that, like, so he, the way you described it, I think sounds too, even more clinical than it is, where you, you know, uh, break a joke into constituent parts. Because I think of it as in the process, like melting the parts. Like he, so <laughs> there's no hope of was, ever putting it back together. It's not as though, so, you know, there are a lot of forensic. There, well, there are a lot of artists who do this who, who say, okay, I will, I've chosen the, this style and I will do these pictures in this style. Like a John Curran, who's like, mm -hmm. what if I use right. this type of, what this type of rendering to do this type of idea? And it's like XYZ used this to make this and it means this. And I don't think his work has that. I think it's the the X and the Y are both um amorphous, scary, 
unknowns. And then what you end up with is just like some amazing paintings. You know, when people um, on Twitter joke about like uh, extreme suffering or like invoking like hell or uh, like ex <laughs> extreme conventional notions of like punishment and morality. Uh huh. It's like that, but he's serious. Just like um, Henry Darger, right? Like his authentic hallucinatory vision, right? Like looks a lot like certain types of postmodern engagements with like doll forms and scary stuff, right? Like the, uh, uh, you know, like those brothers, the ones who did the Goya, like annotations. Chapman. Yes. They destroyed the Goyas or they, they messed with them, which was considered very edgy because they, right. they bought Goyas and then uh, altered them. I think that is kind of edgy, honestly. Mm -hmm. but like the ultimate images that they produce, not so much in like that, those works actually, but like, I don't know, they have some like creepy, illustrate you know, like little girly shit. Like, but there's like a kind of coincidental meeting of the vibe of like Henry Darger and then like, I don't know, Chapman Brothers or like maybe other types of like arrogant British like uh, postmodern art that like congratulates itself in the 90s. But they're completely different like souls. But they produce the same tone. Right. I mean, I think in any, like in the contemporary art scene, I feel like uh, certain drawers and painters come along every few years who do work in this vein as a, uh, similar to how I was saying uh, that I follow these bots on Twitter to, as a respite, you know, from humans. Right. Uh, I think that these guys come along and they get used as a respite from everyone else's bullshit. Where you can, uh, I think like Hilma F. Clint has been that for some people where they're like, oh God, what if, what if, what if your paintings were not just cool looking, but actually transcendental and didn't, and related to the world of spirits and platonic forms and you didn't have to think about anyone's, uh, uh, anyone's parents or anyone's uh personal brands basically but this is the whole i think it's it's just like it's about seeing it's through the myth right but it's about seeing through the whole like constructed myth of modernity and modernism right that like the modern person has some like special access to a humanism or like a sense of the individual which like i think culminates in that like you know like kind of wanky celebrity of you know like coming back to abstract expressionism, right, and like the super celebrated male genius that, like, right, someone like a Hilma Afflimt or like uh, other people being reclaimed, like Leonora Carrington, right, and mm -hmm. there's like a lot of novelists who go along with this, like showing that there are these women who have like this frequently women or other outsiders, unacknowledged people, um, like just as advanced of a self, a sense of like insight into the world is just that they took certain things seriously that were like a joke to everybody else and that like to take somebody else's seriousness seriously is like very 
contrary, I think, to the way that we were like brought up to think about what art is. I think it's also questioning authorship in a way, or what uh, what the public's understanding of authorship is, because you know it's like if um, if uh, a recording artist were to make their first album and people hear it and they're like, this is pretty good. And then they make their second one and it's just like absolutely complete. It's completely unrelated. Uh, like not even, you know, uh, if there was no album between Velvet Underground and Nico and Metal Machine Music, that was the next one. <laughs> then what? Uh, then I think people would give up. I think they would say, I don't get it. I think they they wouldn't there would be nothing to latch on to there would be no thread that uh right the refusal to do the same thing over and over yeah. again although actually I think Judy Chicago is a good example of somebody who hmm. went through different phases I mean deeply problematic in many ways we can talk about that in a separate podcast perhaps but she went through these very deliberate phases in which she was quite on purpose rebelling against whatever she was doing before. So she went from making these like beautiful lacquered car hoods because she trained in spray painting, you know, like a Finnish fetish vibe. And then because she was like, that's bullshit. She then turned to like textiles mm -hmm. and like handmade materials, which are the opposite of the monumental glossiness, right? That like, they're really difficult to look at. Like she would get other people to make them as well. And like no glory. And then she made all this. Yeah. And kind of performance stuff too, right? Like, a, or like posing in photographs in a kind of cheeky way. Or, yes, or yes. are those she just did jokes? A, like did, actual jokes? No, she did an art forum big page. She right, did right. A page ad where she announced she was renaming herself Judy Chicago. And she was she did one where she's like a boxer like That's a boxer in a ring yeah. yeah and she's like there's a linda bingles one too where people just take these pages out and do mm -hmm. uh it's like doing a i can't think of a modern equivalent to this gesture because you know it's free to just post shit oh i don't know it'd be like taking a sponsored post <laughs> Uh, that's the opposite of a sponsored post you're sponsoring yourself and on someone else's magazine oh no that's what i mean though that on instagram people uh on instagram uh they deprioritize certain people in the algorithm to encourage them to buy sponsored posts especially people God. who the mo if you say things like link in bio very often this will happen to you so judy chicago said in the time when she did this announcement that it was a parody right of the like self-important announcements that like the men around her were constantly making so that was just like a nickname like people called her this guy called her chicago because of her accent and um and because she was like kind of brash right and, and she was like i don't yeah. know i think that's really funny honestly and then a lot of her other work is really 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 funny like from the from the uh like what do you call it like installation stuff like she made this thing called woman house where there's all this like slapstick comedy going on inside, and there are these amazing videos of it. And then she went to like the most po-faced, you know, like Mother Earth fertility symbols, shit, and other stuff. And it's like I don't know, but the thing is, I think of that as like a weakness in her, and I think of it as a strength in Kalerbo Palsa because I guess I don't 
He's free from the stigma of having sought attention. That's, yeah, exactly. Which is, I guess, a misogynist trope, I guess. Like, why do we think? No, I think that there are, I think, I think of it more as, rather than gendered, I think of it as an insider-outsider trait. Uh, Yeah, but women don't get to choose to be outsiders. I see what you're saying, yeah. And so the fetishization of the outsider, right, is exactly, I think, what, like, Hilma Aplimp is a curative too because it's like you can appear normal but actually be a bigger freak than the guy who's like I don't know naked and hopping from foot to foot I don't know that seems like a big yeah. change to yeah. me huh. yeah. Yeah, but strangely dying of pneumonia right it like does have a like dying of consumption kind of um like oddly odd kind of like art historical tradition not tradition hmm. but like people i don't know like people made some comparisons to like van gogh and the biography thing that we were just reading right like that um and there is actually in some of his more painterly right like thicker landscapey stuff there totally is a vibe of that of Van Gogh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Van Gogh Just is, like, I think... Being real crazy makes you wonderful at rendering light up. and space. <laughs> uh, Van Gogh was shown to me in school by my one of my favorite drawing teachers as being an example of someone who uses every type of mark in one drawing. He's using dots. Mm-hmm. He's using dashes. He's using lines, thick lines, thin lines. He, like, pulls out every single type of little daub you can do in one picture. And I think it's less less often done in one image for him he use he scatters it uh the different techniques and the different uh emotional registers across this kind of van gogh gives the impression of someone working with like a limited supply of materials hmm. and this guy has the impression that he has a large but um not like super high quality perhaps are those colors in them yeah, the gouache ones I, I like a lot when the, he's working with the opaque watercolors. They're just crazy the way they layer and like uh, super. Big you can't plan it. I mean, you no. can, you can't plan the water. Like it's almost as though with watercolors, your impulse because it's so unpredictable is to plan. You say, okay, lighter colors first, yeah, and then you end. With, uh, but with gouache, I find it's even more unpredictable because uh, you have the illusion that it's like an acrylic paint, but it still isn't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he has, like, a flair that comes from, like, uh, being weirdly confident, maybe. Yeah, noodling, improvising. Yeah. I don't know what to note to end on, but maybe we should do a brief introduction. Oh, yeah. Just saying it's been a while since we did one. Uh, 